Alright, our scripture reading this morning is from Philippians. It's chapter 3, verses 7 through 21. If you're using the Bible in your pew there, it's on page 1,231. And while you're looking that up, um, I just wanted to remind you about the little blue connect card. It should be there by the um, hymnals and the Bibles. And if you are a guest or if you are not a guest and you just have a question or um, have made a decision in your life, you can fill out that little card and put it in the offering plate later. All right, let's read together. Philippians 3, 7 through 21. But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to, compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. I know. I know I don't look like much of a preacher. <laughs> I figured if you didn't remember anything that I said today, you might remember the one week that I dressed <laughs> in a t-shirt and athletic pants, and you might remember to pursue this extraordinary way that we're called to live. And so, I am your living illustration today, but I'm kind of a fraud I was really kind of surprised that I even had this much athletic gear <laughs> to put on for you today. Uh, I didn't even have to go out and buy it. It's just, I had it. Um, but a, a little bit of a People always ask me, you play basketball, right? Because, you know, tall, tall guy. That's what you ask them when you're making small talk. And uh, I always have to say, yeah, I did, but it wasn't always pretty. <laughs> yeah. I remember still my, my one fast break in ninth grade. Uh, we stole the ball, and I was the closest man to our goal. And you could guess why, because I was the slowest guy on the court. So, <laughs> so they throw it down to me, 
And I remember, you know, I'm like, I'm praying not to lose the dribble. But I forgot to pray about the layup. And so I lay that bad boy up there and just ricochets off the glass like a rocket. <laughs> it was not pretty. Uh, I'm not sure if I improved from there or if I just learned to play within my limitations, but not the world's greatest athlete by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, but I think that um, it's, it's obviously a great metaphor for our Christian walk. And, and the Apostle Paul mentions a time or two, and, and we find in Hebrews, the book of Hebrews, that also talks about running your race, pursuing a prize, training as though you're an athlete, disciplining yourself, that there is a prize or a goal that we are to be pursuing single-mindedly. And so I think, you know, maybe it's possible that we, many of us, live a Christian life as though we've already won all there is to win. Right? That we, you know, we did something at an altar or in our heart or at a church or at a camp or whatever the case may be and, and we won all there was to won. We won salvation. And, and so we're good. And, and so clearly though, when we read in God's Word, there's something we are to be pursuing. There's a, it's not a, a sit back and enjoy or sit back and wait. It, there is something we are to be after, that we are to be contending for. Something that is not yet reached and not yet won. And so there should be some sort of sense of urgency, like an athlete preparing for a championship. Someone who, who starts the season not hoping for, uh, you know, a win, but for the win, right? You, you are focused. You are, I mean, you watch the Olympics or something like that. These guys train for four years, many of them really for their whole life, right? For one moment. And the focus that goes into that, of the ones that you see that achieve the gold medal and all that, I mean, part of that's genetics <laughs> that some of us weren't blessed with, but a lot of that is grit and determination. And contending. I, I liked this quote. I don't really know Greg Plitt. I think he was a uh, fitness guru kind of guy. But he said, Championships aren't won in the theater of the arena. They are won in the thousands of hours of training. And the 5 a.m. runs in the rain when everyone else is sleeping. That's where it's won. And I want to encourage you today with that picture in mind of the athlete. If you can imagine me being an athlete. I'm, I'm giving you my best shot here. <laughs> All right? I want you to picture chasing after something. I want to picture yourself being that person that when everyone else is sleeping, you're out running. Because there's a prize that you're after. You can't afford to sleep. Rest will come. But for now, you've got something, some prize to pursue. Uh, this Sunday was supposed to be our Freedom Sunday. And we postponed that because it was, it's a heavy topic and it's been a heavy week, right? And uh, so our guest speaker was very understanding of that. And so we're working on a, a next date for that. But as I was thinking about what to share, you know, I got some advice that, well, you know, you can just 
share something simple and, and call it a week. And I, already, I had already prepared the next message for this series that we were in. And as I looked at it, I just felt like, man, this is really appropriate. Uh, and I think you'll see why in, in a couple ways. But today, you know, we, we're back in the second part of this series. Ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way. That this is idea that, that Jesus didn't just give us a mission, something to do, something to go, so, you know, something to share. Yes, there's that. He certainly did. He said, go and make disciples. That's part of it. But he also had a vision for who we would be as people, as a church, a vision of what we would look like. And so that's what this series is about. A, a vision for your life and for the life of Cypress Street Church of God and really for the life of the capital C church around the world. That we would be ordinary people like we talked about last week. We're, it's not about us. It's not about how good we are or how good we were or something we achieved of our own strength and merit. It's not about us. We're just ordinary people. But we are pursuing something extraordinary. And someone extraordinary. And it's all about Jesus. So today we dive in and talk about what it means to pursue. And then next week we're going to wrap up the last part of this. And talk about what this extraordinary way is. So let's talk about pursuing. I love the book of Philippians. It's a letter. Uh, maybe I like it because it's low drama. <laughs> a, lot of the, a lot of the letters that Paul would have to write to churches, it was like, oh, you people. You, know, there was just, you could tell there was a lot of drama in these churches. Well, in Philippi, they seemed like they were doing pretty good. You know, this was kind of like um, Paul's pride and joy. Like, thank you. <laughs> For, for being so wonderful so I can have you know, something to, to write that doesn't have to be all negative. You know? uh, he was proud of them and he wrote this letter from prison to them to encourage them in their faith. And one of the favorite passages from this is this section where he talks about running our race, pursuing something, a prize to win. And he begins kind of by saying, you know, look, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And, and I mentioned to you last week that so many of the letters that we have from apostles to churches follow this pattern of ordinary people pursuing one extraordinary way. And so here's Paul saying, look, I'm just an ordinary guy. It's not about me. It's not about my credentials all the things that I used to would hang my hat on and say, look, you know, I got it together. I count it now as garbage compared to knowing Christ. So it's not about us. It's not about him. He says, I want to know Christ. That word know is a very intimate sort of know. It's not like, uh, you know, I, I know that the Declaration of Independence came out in 1776. It's not like knowing a fact. It's knowing, like, like I know my wife. I don't just know facts about her. I know her. 
And this is what Paul said. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection, the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now that's probably not what most of you think of when you think of knowing Christ. I mean, we all like the know him in the power of his resurrection, right? We, we want some of that power. But we kind of just skip over that participation in his sufferings bit, don't we? We'd rather not. Paul says, I want to know Christ. I, yes, I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I also want the participation in his sufferings. That's humbling to me. We are suffering adverse in our culture in particular. But when you read the New Testament, how many times do you read of them saying that they counted it a blessing to suffer for Christ, to suffer with Him? They had, they had seen their Lord suffer and to be counted worthy of suffering alongside Him and for His name was an honor to them. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. There's a, a follow-up to this. See, what Paul's describing there, wanting to know Christ. This is both like a now and a later thing. That right now he wants to know the power of his resurrection in his life. He wants to participate in his sufferings to be counted worthy of that. He wants to become like him in his death and somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. When the New Testament talks about dying with Christ, there's two senses in which that is meant. One is dying to ourself and coming alive to him. There's a, a death and resurrection that's symbolized in our baptism and is ongoing in our life where we put to death the things of our past and we come alive into a new life with Christ. And so there's a, that, but there's also the end prize. That our hope is that someday we'll be like Christ and that we will die and then someday resurrect. That there's a, a hope that we have in Christ. Paul describes it a little further down in this passage. He says, our citizenship, our citizenship is in heaven. It's, it's held there. It's in God's kingdom. We... Our citizenship is in his kingdom first and foremost. And so it's, it's secure there. Nobody can take that away from us. God has it in his realm. And, and we eagerly await a savior from there. Because we believe Jesus is going to return and appear here in our earthly sphere. Right now he's in that heavenly realm. And by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. We've talked about this before, but just a reminder that our hope is not just heaven. That our hope is not just life after death. But in a sense, it is life after life after death. It's, yes, when we die, we are with Christ in a spiritual realm. And someday he's going to return. This is what the New Testament teaches. And he's going to bring with him all those who have passed away in Christ. And we, or whoever remains here, 
along with those who have passed before, will be given new bodies, like his glorious body. And we will live in the new heaven and earth, which he will prepare for us. That's the Christian hope. And always has been. So, our friend Alan this week, right? His citizenship was always in heaven. From the day he gave his life to Christ and began pursuing that extraordinary way. And now he knows Christ in a way that we don't know Christ. And someday he'll come back with Christ and will receive a new body along with the rest of us and we'll all live together in a new heaven and a new earth. And that is a glorious hope. And by the way, I believe that new heaven and new earth will have the same purposes that the first good creation had. Where God placed humanity in it to work and steward his good creation. That, was, that assignment was given before the fall of man. So sometimes I think we just think about sitting around on clouds and playing harps or something, you know, and singing songs. There's going to be work to do in the kingdom. There's going to be good work, fulfilling work, satisfying work. And that's good for us to know. And it's good for us to remember about Alan because he liked to work. <laughs> So, there will still be work to be done in the new heaven and new earth. But we'll be given new and glorious bodies that don't break down and decay and have problems. This is our hope in Christ. And He has already gone first with His resurrection. So, this is the hope, this is the prize. To know Christ, to really know him, not like to experience him, to do the things that he did, to live in his power and his strength, and to live in the hope that he purchased for us and accomplished for us. And Paul says, to lay hold of this thing, he says, I do not consider myself yet to have laid hold of it. So here's what I do. Forgetting what's behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. I used to get kind of confused about that thing and then I paid attention to grammar. He says one thing I do and then he lists two things. But really, <laughs> the one thing that he does is pressing on towards the goal. And involved in that pressing on towards the goal is both a forgetting what is behind and a straining towards what is ahead. We forget some of the stuff that's behind us. That means like we got to let some stuff go when we get ready to start in on this journey. And, and we probably are going to have to keep on letting some stuff go. And, and more stuff's going to happen as we go. And we're going to have to let some of that stuff go. There's, there's baggage that we have that would hold us back, that would hinder us from moving forward. There are old relationships that we have. There are old habits that we have. The list could go on. Uh, Hebrews has a similar passage to this one and it says, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. 
Like if you just step into a new life with Christ and you don't deal with your past at all, you're just going to be weighed down by that and entangled in it. And you're not going to make much progress in your pursuit of the prize to which you've been called. People all the time, they get inspired to put their faith in Christ. And they pray a prayer, again, at an altar or at camp or in a moment that they have. A, something touches them, some life experience, and it gets their attention. And they, they give their life to Christ. And then they go back to their same group of friends, to their same schedule and routine, to their same life. And sooner or later, that passion, that excitement for Christ fades away. They don't feel like they're making much progress. They're not looking much more like Jesus. They're not knowing him much better. Why? What happened? What's wrong? We've got to let some things go. We've got to forget what is behind. Sometimes that's hard, like saying, hey, I can't hang out with you this weekend to someone you've always hung out with on the weekends. Sometimes that's trying to break a habit that's really hard to break. Sometimes it's needing to go talk with someone or a counselor and deal with some baggage and stuff from your past that's really hard to deal with and that you need to work through and let go because it's, it's a burden on you. And sometimes it's sin. And we talked about sin last week and how it's missing the mark of what God made us to be as human beings, what He created us for, the life He created us for. And when we, when we live outside or off on a different path, than the one that he created us for. That's called sin. It's not, uh, it's not just like, oh, you broke a rule. It's, no, you missed the mark of what it means to be human, the way God designed you to live. And so that's part of it too. And this is one of my favorite verses about dealing with sin and forgetting what's behind you in that sense. It says, if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit, you are putting to death the deeds of the body you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God, and daughters of God. Two things there. When it comes to dealing with sin, forgetting that part of what's behind us, one, it's not something that you're called to do in your own power. It's called, you're called to do it with Power from the Holy Spirit. Second, it's not something um, that you're called to do once, but that you're called to do continually, just as an athlete continues to train. It says, putting to death. If you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh, it didn't say, if you put to death prior. If you're put, that's something we're actively to be engaged in. When it comes to pursuing the prize of Christ, there is a forgetting what is behind, and that's an ongoing effort, and there is a straining towards what's ahead, and that's an ongoing effort. And, and so this is something where, you know, it's not like, um, yeah, you know, I'd, 
I trained a long time ago and now I'm good. <laughs> you know, uh, no, you've, no one gets ready for a, a marathon, you know, six months ago and then just put it on coast until the marathon, right? You, you keep preparing, you keep working, and this is what we do, and this is what we're called to do. Here's what I want to challenge you with. This part of this vision for your life and for our church, we will contend like we're not yet complete. Last, last week we said, we will own that it's not about us. Here's something else we're going to do. We're going to contend like we're not yet complete. Like we haven't arrived yet. We still have something to pursue. Something to chase. And as we do this, I, I say we purposefully because it's not something we're called to do alone, but something we're called to do together. In fact, in this very passage, Paul said, join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us, the apostles, the leaders of the church, as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. This is good advice. They were striving with all they had to live as Christ so that others could watch them and do likewise. It really helps to have a living example, doesn't it? Someone to look to. And the thing is, we have to be careful about our relationships. Because, because not everyone is living as Christ. In fact, Paul, in this letter to the church, talking about keep your eyes on those who live as we do, indicates that not everyone that they knew did. He said, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. This seems to me, we don't know for sure, but it seems to me in the context that he's talking about people who call themselves Christians. That not all of them are living as followers of Christ. Some of them claim Christ, but they live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Don't follow them. Don't pay attention to their example. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Which is getting into next week's topic of what that extraordinary way looks like. But be careful of who you're looking at, who you're setting up as a model in your mind, who has influence on you. Let's talk about just for a few moments at a really practical level what it means to contend like you're not yet complete. I want to ask you just a series of questions and you've got a note card there and maybe this would be a good week just to have a, a pen or a pencil ready if you you've got one and or just make notes on your phone or whatever and as I ask these questions if things come to mind maybe write them down and pray through them this week first thing I want to ask is what weight burden you know that kind of weight what weight do you need to drop so that you can run a little faster
last fall I lost like 30 something pounds and that's, that's heavier than Peter and when I pick Peter up now I'm like I used to carry this around with me all the time <laughs> and then some even non-athletic people move a little more nimbly when we, <laughs> when we set some of that weight aside and, but what weight in your life you know what I'm talking about stuff that you know baggage that that you've got that maybe it's no fault of your own maybe it's something that someone else did to you or something that you went through and it's, un, it's not fair no one knows why you had to go through it but it's real easy to let those things hang on in our life and to continue to let them drag us down maybe it's even anger or a grudge or hatred or lack of forgiveness that can become a burden in our lives that weighs us down. What is it that you need to drop so that you can run a little faster? Second question. What sin do you need to kill? And I word that harshly because Scripture words it harshly. If by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the flesh. That's how seriously you take it because, again, sin's not just rule breaking, it's life ruining. So we have to cut it out. As we become aware of it, we put it to death and we move on to the next thing. What sin do you need to kill in your life? Another question. What discipline do you need to begin? What discipline do you need to begin? Even if you never played a sport in your life, you know it takes discipline. That there's things that those people do day in and day out. They don't necessarily want to. Some days it's a rainy day. Some days, you know, they didn't sleep good the night before or whatever. But they discipline themselves and they do it. Some days it doesn't feel like it did a lick of good and they did it anyway, right? Some, some days it feels great. You know, when, when you're jogging, right, day in and day out, and you're disciplining yourself in that way, there's, there's days where you go for a jog, and you're like, man, that got me going for the day. And then there's days you go out, and you're like, oh, my word. <laughs> and so sometimes in our spiritual disciplines, when we engage in things, we get frustrated when there's days or weeks or months where we're like, oh, I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this, and it just feels like I'm banging my head against the wall. But this is the nature of disciplines. And everyone who ever wanted to contend for a prize disciplined themselves, even on the days where it wasn't pleasant. So what discipline do you need to begin? If you're trying to rid yourself of greed, maybe you need to start the discipline of generosity. 
If you find that your stomach is your God, then maybe you need to start the discipline of fasting. Disciplines of prayer. Disciplines of reading and studying scripture. You'll think of others. What discipline do you need to begin? And one last question that has kind of two parts to it. In what relationship do you need to invest? If we're going to pursue the Jesus way, we can't do it effectively alone. It's a team sport. (laughs) So what relationship do you need to invest in? And I would encourage you to look for two types of relationships, at least. First, a relationship with someone ahead of you. Someone who you look up to and admire and respect. They don't have to be older than you. They can be. But anyone who you feel like, uh, you know, not that they're perfect, but there's some stuff you could learn from them. So there's a sense in which there's something we could learn from everyone, but you know what I mean. Someone who's pursuing Christ in their own life and, and maybe is a little further down the road than you are. And you don't have to go to them and say, would you please mentor me and be my model of holiness, right? <laughs> They'll probably just run for the hills. But you could just say, would you like to do lunch this week? You don't even have to tell them what you're doing. But just get to know them a little bit. Listen. Pay attention. See how they interact with people. See how they interact with their family. Ask them what book they've been reading lately or how they do their prayer life. or Just ask them questions. Get to know them. Learn from them. And secondly, I would encourage you to look for a relationship behind you. Look for someone, maybe they're a youth, or maybe they're new to their faith, but you can tell they're wanting to grow, and and you don't have to feel like you've got it all together, you don't feel like, you know, you don't have to have a doctorate in mentorship to do this thing. We're all called to the same journey and the same pursuit, and this is just an idea of doing it together. Learning from somebody, helping somebody learn. We will contend like we're not yet complete. So what weight do we need to drop? What sin do we need to kill? What discipline do you need to begin? What relationship do you need to invest in? Don't feel like you have to do all these things this week. (laughs) I know it's a lot. But maybe pick one or two things to prioritize and begin to work on. Make yourself a plan. You know, when you run a marathon, I've never done one, but I've had friends that do. (laughs) I always hung out with athletic people. That's why I got to buy the athletic clothes I fit in. And and they have a schedule, you know, like for months in advance. You know, I'm going to run this much this day and this much that day. And it's all mapped out. So why not sit down and make yourself a map? Okay? 
I'm going to start this discipline this week. All right, next week, I'm going to work on putting that sin to death in my life. The next week, I'm going to make an appointment to talk to the pastor or talk to a counselor and start working on dropping this weight that I've been carrying around. You know, make yourself a map, make yourself a game plan. Get in the game. No championship was ever won by sitting over there with your shoes untied, right? <laughs> Lace them up. Let's get going. Let's contend like we're not yet complete. When I wrote this message, I had uh, something at the very end that was about funeral services. <laughs> I had no idea that we would end up having one. And I was talking about uh, how I've been, and you have too, to different kinds of funeral services. And some of them give great hope, and some of them are kind of depressing. And you go to some where you feel like inspired, you know, to live different tomorrow. And then you go to some where maybe you're also inspired, but not necessarily by a, a good example. And, and you go to some where you're just like, man, I, when I go, I don't want to be remembered for sitting in my favorite chair. And some people are. And when I go, I don't want to be remembered for my favorite TV shows. I just don't. I don't want to be remembered for the car that I drove or... You know what I mean? And uh, on, on Thursday, we had Alan's service. And I was talking to, I got so much encouragement afterwards and I was so relieved because I told a few people, I said, before the service, I just felt like the, the whole thing that I had planned and worked on just felt really inadequate. And someone pointed out to me that, well, you know, probably any short set of words would be inadequate uh, in a sense, you know. When, when someone lives their life well, and pursues Christ with all they've got. And there's not a sermon that's going to do that justice. But I want to be that kind of person, right? An ordinary person. Pursuing one extraordinary way. And I think that's a good... Uh, you know, that's something I hope someone says about me someday. You know, that he was like us. But he was pursuing one extraordinary way, that he, one extraordinary God. And I think we can say that about our friend Alan and celebrate that he lived his life well and he pursued his Savior. He disciplined himself. You talk to Patrice sometime about uh, that, you know, Alan can still serve as a great model for you if you're looking for a relationship ahead of you. Talk to her sometimes about his spiritual disciplines and how he would study scripture and strive to live it out. We should all be challenged to do so. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus who ran his race first 
and secured our victory. God, we are far from complete. We're just ordinary people, as we admitted last week. So Holy Spirit, help us to cast off our past and to charge towards our future by your power at work in us so that we can truly lay hold of the life that you have for us. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.